Amen. There is a man on a throne and he's looking for partners. The believer's perspective when culture's raging, when injustice seems to be rampant in our city streets, when there's more tearing down than building up, believer's perspective because of the resurrection is never to look the other way. It's to look up at the one who will come and make all things right and to partner with him now in light of the day that's coming. So if you feel despair, it's okay to feel despair. Can we just talk honestly this morning? If you feel overwhelmed, if you feel discouraged, like how does my little prayer or my my little choice to walk in Christ, how does that change anything? But friends, I'm here to tell you, that is how we participate with the man on his throne. By bending our hearts before his altar and to pledge ourselves to be fully given over in love and to partner with him on the earth to see his kingdom come as it is in heaven. And I just want to acknowledge it's okay if you feel despair. It's okay if your head feels like it's a little bit spinning. This is part of why we gather every single week to bring our spinning heads and to lovingly touch our brother or sister and say, brother or sister, It is crazy out here, isn't it? It's swirling. There's so many issues to speak to. But as believers who gather in Jesus' name week in and week out, part of the task of our gathering is to tap each other on the shoulder and say, you will get lost if you perpetually look at the mess. You've got to look up at the one who reigns over the mess so that you'll have something of kingdom value to contribute to the mess in Jesus' name. And part of what I want to encourage us as we, as we bake out here in the sun is I am fully convinced what happens before the service, what happens after the gathering, and what happens all week is so significant to your and I's flourishing as disciples of Jesus Christ. If you agree, say amen. We need to be reminded not just once a week, but all the time to lift our gaze and to fix our eyes and to get God's perspective on an issue and a matter. We all said amen. So I want to just encourage you, if if you're in that space or place of, of, of discouragement or just a sense of overwhelming, I want you to know that you have a invitation before you to participate with Jesus Christ. That your life matters. Let me, hear, let, me, let me say that again. Your obedience matters to God, no matter how crazy the world feels. Your partnership matters to God. Your partnering with the Lord in prayer matters to Jesus Christ, who lives, Hebrews chapter 7, to intercede for us, even in this very moment. And so when everything feels like it's shifting and shaking and cities are raging and we're obviously in the midst of the, one of the most visceral political campaign seasons maybe in American history. I'm not saying it is the number one, but it's got to be near the top. And I want you to know that believers, those who've given allegiance to Jesus Christ, we do not take our cues for participation 
for involvement with the ailments and tragedies of, of injustice of culture. We take our cues for our practices, for our habits, for our participation. We take our cues from the man on the throne that's unshakable. In other words, we don't look to our favorite news anchor. We don't even look to our favorite politician to be informed how to operate in this moment. Friends, that will kill us if we look anywhere else but to Jesus Christ of how we're to participate and practice our faith in this hour. You can't just be a one-line machine from your favorite politician. You Please don't. You can't be a favorite one-line machine from your favorite podcast or even from your favorite pastor. Believers, Ephesians 5 is expressly clear. The only one we are to imitate for all of life is Jesus Christ and his self-emptying love. Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God. So who are believers in this hour of great injustice, of great confusion, of great hatred and anger? Who are believers to imitate in this moment? It can't be our favorite political commentator. It's got to be Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can walk into a room and offend everybody, but everyone still wants him in the end. (laughs) Am I clear? This is a pastoral plea. People send me emails from other pastors, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox. I kind of ran that out this morning. I had a soapbox prepared of, you know, hi, buddy. I love you. This is my boy, Ethan. Everybody say hi, Ethan. Can you say Jesus? Okay. And say hi, Haley, to my beautiful wife. We love you. But on my soapbox, I was just thinking this morning as I, as I was running how if you're looking for cues from culture on how you are to operate as a Christ follower, you are looking in the wrong place. You've got to look higher. You've got to look to the man Christ Jesus. His is the only life the Father raised. Are you tracking with me? When, when the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he wasn't just saying his death was sufficient to accomplish salvation. He was saying, okay, he was saying that. Everybody say amen. That's Christian orthodoxy. That's truth. That's belief that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. But when the Father raised the Son, he was saying, for all of the ages unto everlasting, everlasting, his is the life I will raise and bless, and I'm inviting humanity to learn how to live in light of the man who died for them because of their mess and who rose for them so they could live a different humanity, a different story. So when the Father raises the Son, the Father, in effect, is saying, His is the only really one worth raising. So if you're looking for someone to inspire your action, your politic, your practice of faith, look to the one who invented it and sustains it by His powerful word, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And then then just get friends around you and ask for the Holy Spirit of wisdom, revelation of how we're to operate these complex, difficult times. How many believe it's complex? It's difficult, but Jesus Christ is right in the thick of the mess. He just always has a way of finding us in the mess and helping us how to navigate the mess with him. Be imitators of God. Say that with me. Be imitators of God. 
And in the Greek, it literally means, you know this, you're smarter than me, Pastor Ken. It literally means to mimic. Anyone remember your kids who, you know, you do a funny face and they do the funny face at you? Well, in this hour, as, as you and I are being pulled from every angle, how to act, how to practice, how to operate, how to, how to be an American in this crazy moment, how to be a Christian in this crazy moment, and I want to just call us higher each and every Sunday. The Bible is expressly clear. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Friends, let Jesus Christ be the one who forms and fashions us in this hour on how we are to be a reflection and image of Christ for our culture, for our family, for our workplace. Can you say amen if you agree? That was Ephesians 5, 1 through 5. You can look it up yourself. Just want to call us. I just felt zeal this morning as I was running and after I was praying and reading and just just rereading some old journal entries of the Lord's, just his word to me this year, his son, and as a pastor, and my heart was stirred. And, and as I was running, I just felt his zeal that, that he is the one we're to be going after. And then therefore, by his grace, he's the one we're meant to imitate in this hour. Amen. And so, Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for calling us higher. Thank you for for lifting our gaze. Thank you for inviting us into participation today. I thank you, Lord, that you've not just left us to figure it out, but you're with us. Come on, somebody say, he's with us. He's with us. He's on a throne. He's got a voice that still speaks life-giving words of wisdom and power and provision. And Father, I pray that you would bend the ear of your church in this hour to lean in again to what you are saying and then to participate wholeheartedly. I pray, God, that even now you would break through the crusty blockages in our spiritual ear canals, that we would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Father, I pray that where there have been a thousand voices from our favorite news station to the scrolling on our social media or to the email or the podcast or just the average dude on the street, I pray that, Lord, you would be zealous for the ear and for the heart of your church in this hour, that she would bend her heart and her ear to lean in to hear the one who speaks from his throne. I pray, God that we would not just be echoes, but that we would have a substantive voice that speaks the present word of what Jesus Christ is up to in this hour. And Lord, we're crying out for discernment. We're crying out for humility. We're crying out for courage to be people of substance and of conviction in the hour. 
Father, we thank you that your words alone are the words of life, that the entire crowd can disband and leave by being offended at you. But we'll stay right there because where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of life but Jesus Christ, the incarnate word made flesh? And so, Father, I pray for a fearlessness to come upon your people. Yours is the voice. Yours is the word. Yours is the gospel, the only news that is ultimately good that leads to life and liberty and transformation as humans come into agreement and alignment with the king who reigns on an everlasting throne, the throne of David. Father, I pray your grace upon our people. I pray, Lord, that you would move in power in their life. I pray that you would establish a beachhead of your presence and an altar in every home that's within earshot of this message today, of those watching online, that our houses, Father, would be magnets that attract your presence, that value your wisdom, that submit to your ways, and that are given over to your will with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, I thank you and I bless you for hearing our cry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm not going to preach a whole message, even though most of you are in the shade. I'm not. I just find it so significant that, that Jesus Christ, before every big decision, before every moment, how many think that Jesus Christ is just a good idea or is he, is he the ultimate idea that humans are supposed to aspire to and, and to run after? Gee, I, I say this often, a lot of times in prayer I say it just to stir my own spirit, but many of us think that Jesus is the exception to the rule, which is to just give us permission to live less than our inheritance in Christ. But how many believe Jesus Christ is not the exception to the rule except for his sinlessness? Jesus Christ is the rule for the church, the one we're to live after and imitate and pattern our life after. Does everyone understand the difference? If Jesus is always just the exception to the rule, I can engage with my enemy any way I want because Jesus is just the exception. But if Jesus Christ and his life and the kingdom and righteousness are the rule for life in the spirit as a disciple in the kingdom of God, that means I don't ask Jesus to bow to my whims, my wishes, or my desire for vindication or vengeance or anger against my enemy. I bow my life to the rule that is Christ Jesus. I got a few amens in the middle. How about the sides? Does that make sense? Jesus Christ is the rule for life. I don't ask Jesus to morph into my various dynamics of my life, my work, or my engagement in politics, or how I talk at the, the, the copy room with my colleague or my neighbor. Jesus Christ stands forever on that shore of Galilee, and he says, follow me, and I will transform your life. And in this hour, it's so significant. So anyway, we're following Jesus. He's the rule for life and the kingdom and the spirit. And I love Jesus Christ. Every major event. When he's baptized, Luke tells us he prayed and the heavens opened and the father sent the dove. How many would think his baptism is a significant moment and he's praying? We know for 40 days he's tempted and tested in the wilderness. We know that he called a few guys in chapter 4 of Matthew, and then a little bit later when he's got a 
little bit of a groundswell of popularity. The Bible says that he spent all night in prayer to, to purposely select his 12. Regularly, Jesus Christ, when he was Mark chapter 3, when he was pressed by the needs and the concerns of the people around him, he would often, and also in Luke chapter 4, he would, he would escape and get to a solitary place so that he could recalibrate and reorient his life continually around what his father was saying, what his father was doing, and where his father was leading. And then Jesus Christ, when obviously he's about to make the biggest choice, which is to obey the Father all the way to the cross, we find the Son of God praying in the garden. Praying in the garden, coming into alignment, bringing all of his concerns. Father, can the cup pass from me? But not as I will, but as you will. Let your will be done. Three times he prays. When the Father showed Jesus Christ that Peter, the rock, the one who claimed the accurately by the spirit of revelation, the messianic credentials of Jesus Christ. The father showed Jesus that, and Satan approached, you know, obviously Jesus, can I, I'm going to sift Simon. And it's so significant that Jesus doesn't just tell Simon, you're going to be restored. He tells Simon first, Simon, I have prayed for you that when you come back to the faith, you'll be able to lead your brothers as the leader of the disciples. That Jesus Christ doesn't leave anything to chance. He prays about it all. Are you tracking with me? Jesus Christ is the rule for life in the kingdom of God. So even though he knows Peter is going to deny him, he brings it to the Father in prayer, and he, he, he places and he wants to provoke Peter's confidence that, Peter, I have prayed for you, so it's going to be okay. And then obviously the... He gave the disciples a prayer. That one's actually should be called the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, our Father. It's right in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And then Jesus Christ, obviously, in John chapter 17, before he goes to the cross and he's denied, we have 26 verses of the Son of God praying to God the Father. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you, church, if you and I do not heed and hear the call to participate in the place of prayer on the epic Kairos moment that we are in as people who live in a nation called America, we will miss out on what God has for us in this hour. Can you guys hear me in the back? Does that make sense? That if Jesus Christ before every epic Kairos Lying in the sand moment. Jesus Christ does not have the perspective or the posture. Oh, the Father will just figure out the mess and I'll just kind of cruise and do my ministry. Jesus Christ sets his heart to seek the Father before every epic moment in his life and ministry. And this is an epic moment in the life and ministry of the church in this hour. And the Father does not want us to be presumptuous or Jesus will figure it out and to, for us to get caught up in the cultural tides. He wants us to set our face, Isaiah 50, like flint. He wants us, Jeremiah 29, 13, to seek him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
He wants us to come out of our complacency, out of our comp- compromise. He wants us to come out of our, oh, God, I'll just figure it out. What's my obedience matter? Man, he wants to sound the alarm in our spirits in this hour and call us into the place of participation called prayer. It is not just for a few intercessors who are more inclined to spend time before the Father. Every single believer, first thing they wake up, Father, I turn my heart to you. I want to participate today. Father, show me what you're saying, how you're leading, where you're going. I want to sign up again. Friends, it's just, it's living that God-saturated life. He's, he, we, we can't just hope that we can grit our teeth and make it through November. He wants to call us into the place of participatory prayer. How many, how many would say, Chad, man, I'm being called to a billion things in this hour. I should probably consider the call of God to the place of prayer. <laughs> For goodness sake, we all know we're being pulled and beckoned by our affections, by our anger, those hot topic issues that just set us on fire. How many believe that when we hear the voice of our Father, it's to be the ultimate button pusher that we would say, oh, the Father beckons. Whoa, the Son is stirring my heart. Oh, the Holy Spirit is telling me to turn right now and to participate in the kingdom of God. Friends, it's the hour to not be moved by anything more significant than the voice of the Lord in this hour. And my goodness, we are so easily moved, and that is something to repent of. Not to lie about or to argue, but what if what moved us most was the God who burns with fire in his eyes for a people to be fully given over to him in love and therefore to participate in his kingdom on the earth. This is our great hour. And I just hope that, you know, we've made it through a lot of the COVID crisis. Sorry for being loud. Um. Because loud doesn't equal anointed. I'm just trying to share my heart. Um, God's calling your name today. And I pray that we would hear his voice. I pray that we would hear the passion in his heart as he calls his people to himself in zealous, jealous love. Like a lover, he's like, I really want you to partner with me in this hour. I really want you. I want all of you. Come on, someone say, he wants all of me. He wants all of me. He wants every area of my life. Jesus Christ is the rule. That's not some heavy rule. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But he's the only one worth imitating. Can I get an amen? How many think Jesus Christ is a worthy candidate of imitation? Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord. And if you don't know, if you read through the Bible, I'm reading through my Bible reading plan, and every time God reveals that he's about to do something, the ones who just say, oh, he'll just do it. He doesn't need me. I'm insignificant. God is sovereign. He's just going to do whatever he wants anyway. Those are the ones always on the outside of the story. And I want you to know God wants to do something in our day. And the way to be ready and to participate 
is by living that life that says, Lord, I want to be fully given over to you. Those areas that cause me the most concern, Lord, I even want to bring those areas to you. I want you to be the one that has ultimate say and ultimate sway over my heart in this hour. How many would say that you've maybe allocated a little bit of your heart to other voices that need to be brought under the lordship of Jesus? Can you just raise your hand? Maybe you've given a little bit of too much of your emotional state. Maybe, um, maybe you're subjecting yourself to things that are causing your spirit to grow bitter, to grow toxic, instead of to grow winsome and life-giving. Come on, I'm talking to a vast majority of us here in person online. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to subject yourself to any stream or flow of thought or ideology. You don't have to have any of that stuff in your life. You can actually bring Jesus into that place that those influencing voices, you could say, Lord, be Lord over my influences. Come on, somebody needs to hear that. Be Lord over my television time watching. Come on, somebody, let's get real. Be Lord over how long I mindlessly scroll my, 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 my Facebook or my Instagram or my Twitter feed. Be Lord over those things that if they don't cause me to want to more imitate Christ and participate in the kingdom of Christ, then they're not worth having the place that they do in my life. And this isn't like old school back in the 80s and 90s where I remember, you know, Bert, maybe it is. Maybe that, maybe, maybe that we were onto something. Come on, anyone grew up in a youth group where you had like, you burnt your secular CDs? Am I the only one that ever heard of those, those days? Anyone ever seen that movie Fireproof? Raise your hand. It's been 15 years since I've seen it. It was phenomenal. My favorite part of Kirk Cameron, I think that's the Fireproof movie. Somebody say amen. Okay, I know he's in a lot of movies. You know, but he struggles with pornography. And I, and I love the scene. It's phenomenal when he takes the computer out in his backyard and just smashes it. Friends, what if in this hour, what if it's such an intense hour that maybe some of us need to break our computer screens or TV screens? How many want to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit in this hour? It's time, friends. You may say, Chad, that's not very practical. I don't know how to be more practical. You, are, you and I do not have to live at the whim of whatever the news cycle is. You and I do not have to be gutted by who's in office. You and I don't have to be influenced by, by this party or that party or this. You and I can actually be influenced by the man on a throne, and he knows our name. He knows the hairs on our head and every day written in the book about us. And I'm here to tell you, friends, he wants his church, he is zealous for his church in America and the church in the nations to be most influenced by who he is, what he's up to, and what he promises to do at the end of the age. Are you tracking with me? Are you guys tracking with me? I just want us to take inventory today as I close. What are those areas, those things that I'm allowing in my life to influence my emotional well-being? Just right now, ask the Holy Spirit, what are those things that, that, I, that I let most influence my passions? 
Don't be all gnarly. Don't condemn yourself because Jesus Christ doesn't condemn you, Romans chapter 8. Amen? But I want you to honestly ask, what are those things that ultimately influence my passions? That ultimately influence my habits? That ultimately influence my schedule? That ultimately influence my investment of time and energy? Just ask the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit would say, why don't you try me being your ultimate and prevailing, predominant, primary influence in your life, and let's see what begins to take place in your heart and through the fruit of your life. Raise your hand if the Lord showed you anything that needs to come into alignment or agreement with a little bit more of being influenced by Him instead of other voices, other streams, other thoughts, other things. I'm here to tell you the Christian faith is not this. I pray to prayer so I can go to heaven someday and grit my teeth all the way there. Come on, somebody say amen that that is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is that God through his son Jesus Christ has taken care of every barrier, every obstacle, every sin, sin, snare, snag, Satan himself, he's overthrown and overdone the works of the enemy so you and I could be fully alive and given over in love to participate in his kingdom in, the, in, in, our, in this life unto the age to come. How many think that's a little bit more exciting of an adventure and a quest to follow Jesus than just, oh, I sure hope everything gets sorted out in the end. Come on, who wants to come out of that mindset? Of I just, I just hope. I, who wants to sign up again to participate, man? How you live, how you obey, how you love, how you serve, and what you give yourself to matters immensely in this hour. Amen. Could you stand to your feet with me? And just say this with me. Just say, how I live matters. What I give my attention to matters. What I place my affection on matters. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would just turn the dial on in our spirit, that you would awaken us to this hour. This hour, Lord, where the church, we can't afford to just sit back and just hope that God works it all out, but that, Lord, we would step into the place of wholehearted love and participate in your kingdom purposes in this hour. Father, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our relationships, for the sake of our colleagues at work, for the sake of our neighborhoods, for the sake of our church and the church, for the sake of our state and of our nation, Father, I pray that we would not be haphazard in this hour, but we would hear your, your beautiful voice, your beautiful voice that has, if we'll tune our ear, that can pierce through all of the noise and can call us to yourself so that we would have something in this hour to bring to the table that doesn't just add to the noise or to the mess, that actually brings about the righteousness, the justice, the rule and the reign of King Jesus. It's what we just sang in that champion song. You have authority, Jesus Christ, and you have chosen to release authority over your people called the church. And I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, we would walk with that authority well, that we would use it like Jesus Christ to serve and to give our lives away. 
That, that authority, that power would not be for self-promoting, even self-preserving motives, but it would be about the kingdom of God breaking into all of the various dynamics that so desperately need the king and his kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would become the primary influence in the realm of our emotions, in the realm of our appetites, in the, in the realm of our longings. And Lord, I pray that we would have revelation today by the Spirit of God that you are the one that we're to imitate. You are the one that we are to pattern our lives after. And if we don't know what your life is about, then Lord, I pray you would place an insatiable hunger for your word in the hearts of your people, that we would find out in this hour what you're all about, what makes you so compelling, and what made your life alone be worthy of the Father raising and validating and vindicating and saying his is the pattern for all time. His is the life that I will raise and that I will bless. And Father, I pray that you would just mark our church wherever we're scattered over the central coast, that we would be those people who walk in the spirit of Christ, who walk in that spirit of love, who walk in that spirit of compassion and humility, my goodness, who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that when we bear witness to the man on the throne, things are transformed around us by his grace and by his love. And I pray, Lord, as we look across the precipice into a new week, I pray that this week would be a week we would say yes to the Spirit that is calling us closer, calling us deeper into your heart. Father, I pray that we would give ourselves to the relationship and then out of that to the partnership of what you have in this hour, in our city, in the Central Coast, in Jesus' name, Father, we give ourselves to you today. We all said amen.